So I think the title of the talk tonight could be uh, Contemplating the Present and Living in the Present, uh, probably to be continued next time. <laughs> present is long. <laughs> um, uh, recently, Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, in his uh, book, Our Appointment with Life, which I'm sure many of you know, has uh, translated and commented a couple of suttas which are very important in this respect, uh, talking about the present. The first, one, first one is the Teranamo Sutta, and in this sutta there is uh, this monk called Tera, who, lived, uh, who likes to live alone and uh, he uh, quite often manifests this inclination of his, uh, so much so that uh, the other bhikkhus, the other monks, uh, get worried and go to the Buddha to report. And then uh, the Buddha talks to this monk, and he says that, yes, he likes very much to live alone, and uh, at this point, the Buddha taught the monk as follows. It is obvious that you like the practice of living alone. I do not want to deny that, but I want to tell you that there is a wonderful way to be alone. It is the way of deep observation to see that the past no longer exists and the future has not yet come and to dwell at ease in the present moment, free from desire. When a person lives in this way, he has no hesitation in his heart. He has no hesitation in his heart. He gives up all anxieties and regrets, lets go of all binding desires, and cuts the feathers which prevent him from being free. This is called the better way to live alone. There is no more wonderful way of being alone than this. And then the blessed one recited this gatha, these verses. In observing life deeply, it is possible to see clearly all that is. Not enslaved by anything, it is possible to put aside all craving. The result is a life of peace and joy. This is truly to live alone. In other words, uh, living alone, uh, the deeper meaning of living alone is living progressively, progressively freer from all the inner hindrances and uh, obstacles. Uh, the Buddha explains that this is the true way and the joyful way of uh, living alone, namely free, whereas the physical uh, solitude in itself uh, doesn't uh, necessarily give any of uh, any part of, of, of this uh, fundamental inner freedom. Again, in the other sutta, the Baddekaratta Sutta, this was the Teranamo Sutta, in the Baddekaratta Sutta, uh, there is a fuller explanation which I uh, presume for you. 
uh, at the beginning there is uh, uh, a declaration, again, a few verses, and uh, very strong and uh, extremely uh, beautiful and clear. The Buddha taught, do not pursue the past, do not lose yourself in the future. The past no longer is, the future has not yet come. Looking deeply at life as it is in the very here and now, the practitioner dwells in stability and freedom. Now, this is the key. Looking deeply at life as it is in the very here and now, the practitioner dwells in stability and freedom. We must be diligent today. To wait until tomorrow is too late. Death comes unexpectedly. How can we bargain with it? The sage calls a person who knows how to dwell in mindfulness night and day, one who knows the better way to live alone. So, being mindful means living in the present moment. And then uh, the Buddha proceeds uh, to explain what does, that, what does it mean, pursuing the past, and what does it mean, not pursuing the past. Pursuing the past means when someone thinks about the way his body was in the past, and when someone thinks about the way his mind was in the past. And when the Buddha talks about mind, he talks about the uh, uh, four constituents of mind, feelings, perceptions, volitions, and consciousness. So when the person thinks of the body and of the mind, the way, the way they were in the past, and is attached to the body and the mind in the past, then we can say that this man or woman is pursuing the past. Now, not pursuing the past is being non-attached, non-identified with mind or body the way they were in the past. So this identification, non-attachment, is the key in order to be fully in the present. Same with uh, losing oneself in the future means being attached to body and mind in the future. Finally, because, what is meant by being swept away by the present? When someone does not study or learn anything about the awakened one or the teachings of love and understanding, the Dharma, or the community that lives in harmony and awareness, the Sangha, when that person knows nothing about the noble teachers and their teachings and does not practice these teachings and thinks, this body is myself, I am this body, and then the uh, various uh, constituents of the mind, components of the mind, saying, this mind is my mind, this means being swept away by the present, being identified in the present. Uh, whereas uh, not identifying with mind and body in the present uh, means being fully in the present and has to do with studying and learning 
the Dharma. Interestingly, uh, when speaking of the present, the Buddha stresses the importance of uh, studying and learning the Dharma. I didn't find any uh, comment about this, but one, may, one might think that uh, this identifying in the present, right in the present moment, is the uh, most important battlefront, and therefore more emphasis is given to this area. And uh, the uh, learning of the Dharma is, is suggested strongly. In other words, um, one can uh, relatively get freed of the past and of the future, but uh, being able of not uh, being swept away in the present by present circumstances is, so to speak, the cutting edge and therefore requires a total commitment to the Dharma. This is a suggestion I am giving to explain why the uh, emphasis on the Dharma is given while talking about the present. Now, um, let's um, talk a little bit about these two suttas. First of all, we immediately get an idea of uh, the big difference between uh, what is meant in the Dharma by uh, being in the present, by living in the present, and what is meant in common language. Like, in common language, uh, we might think of someone who is very practical uh, and who lives very much uh, um, to the point, and we might uh, define, might call this person someone who lives very much in the present. Or maybe we use this expression when we think of someone who lives in a kind of elementary way or childish way or uh, totally, uh, uh, you know, just uh, um, um, incapable of, of, of uh, uh, relating to the future, just uh, lost. And then we say this person lives in the present. Now, in, in, in a, when we uh, uh, think in, in, in terms of the Dharma, living in the present has a totally different meaning. Living in the present means that being mindful has total priority, that's first priority, and the motivating force is understanding and compassion. Whereas when we uh, speak in common language, the uh, motivating forces are maybe attachment, aversion, and uh, there is no priority whatsoever given to mindfulness. Whereas being mindful means being in the present. Being mindful means contemplating the present. We saw the other uh, night that through the practice, uh, of mindfulness, some understanding develops, and through understanding we develop some letting go and some uh, acceptance. Now, because, and uh, in by virtue of these factors, living in the present becomes more possible. And the more we live in the present, uh, the more we accept, we let go, we understand because we get more unified and less fragmented, less split, less dualistic. 
So living in the present, living more, a little bit more in the present, is a very important uh, goal of our work and spiritual life. We also saw that through the practice, in addition to letting go and acceptance and understanding, commitment uh, is generated, commitment uh, develops. And that's a very important uh, power, uh, force, which, which helps us to get closer, so to speak, to uh, living in the present, which, which uh, helps us being interested in contemplating the present rather than uh, being uh, swept away. And talking about commitment, I think we need to add something. Commitment, uh, on the one hand, um, is something which um, um, develops in some natural way, but on the other hand, it has to be helped, it has to be learned. It's like all the other factors. So what happens is uh, that we tend either to go to one extreme or to the other extreme, rather, like um, one kind of commitment is uh, very perfectionist, wanting to be uh, um, the perfect uh, meditator, the perfect yogi. So uh, this is one extreme, and the other extreme is, of course, uh, slackening, uh, indulgence, and uh, usually we learn, uh, we mature, we ripe into uh, right commitment, if we can use this expression, um, you know, by you know, trial and error, um, sometimes going too much to, into one direction, sometimes going too much into the other direction. But at one point, commitment should uh, uh, become something more uh, mature, more stable, uh, more um, uh, strong and protecting, which means uh, a new balance in our lives. A new balance is basic wisdom which is essential for us to understand um, something in relationship to living in the present. Uh, having, I think we can express it like this, having a life project working at a life project uh, is very important in order to live in the present. I don't mean, of course, compulsive planning, which is the opposite uh, of living in the present, but having you know, precise plans, having precise projects, uh, small ones, big ones, uh, to work at in our lives is something which um, uh, gives us energy and therefore some relaxation and this is a help to be in the present. It may sound paradoxical but if you think of it uh, it's, it's very natural. Like anything, for, in order for us to be here we, uh, um, we have to plan this retreat. We had to have a project. You know, this year I'm going to sit uh, for nine days in the month of July. And uh, this uh, has mobilized energy. We had to 
get organized and to arrange everything and then uh, you know have the energy uh, to let go of a number of things and then come here this is very different from a stagnant life you know where we uh, basically drift along without taking care of ourselves again having projects in terms of uh, improving our job or maybe changing our job or having projects about learning new skills uh, about maybe making space in our life for more selfless service making space for retreats this has to do with uh, you know a specific activity which implies planning which implies working at projects but has nothing to do with compulsive planning and has to do with the the nourishing of our life the taking care of ourselves so it's a, it's a source of energy and at the same time of some relaxation which is needed to abide more in the present moment uh, say I know that uh, since I am a, a human being I'll uh, take some vacation and the idea of uh, you know, resting and having some entertainment is is healthy and helps me to maybe be in a retreat or in a uh, meditation sitting um, in a more relaxed way. So this is not um, this is not to be underestimated. Actually, uh, there is a trap for meditators here. Um, in other words, uh, since I am a meditator, I assume that I don't need much. Uh, I have the practice, and uh, the practice is my entertainment, the practice is my job, the practice is my partner, the practice is uh, everything, and so I don't need any special project. Just practice and take whatever life gives me well you know if this is so very good uh, but it may well be that we are lying to ourselves without even knowing it that we have a certain model of what a spiritual person should be and we uh, uh, we are acting according to that model but as a matter of fact uh, what we are saying to ourselves and maybe to other people is not true uh, we would like to have a different job, we would like to uh, have more friends and uh, um, yeah, some nice vacation, some way of expressing our uh, uh, altruistic uh, uh, attitudes. And for some conditioning we are not giving all this to ourselves. And so we are in a rather passive uh, and at the same time subtly conceited attitude. And this brings frustration, uh, tension, and makes it very difficult to be in the present. We don't know what's the matter with us, but we are restless. We are agitated. And this stuff, Karanamo Sutta and Baddekarata Sutta, sounds nice, but um, in terms of applying it, in terms of doing it, it seems pretty difficult. But we should uh, have a close look to our life and uh, we will see some imbalance.
and um, and we would see this trapped. So this is an important piece of investigation if we are serious about being in the present. Another trap is uh, mistaking ambition for working at a life project. But, you know, working at a life project is basic wisdom, is, uh, you know, uh, meeting our basic needs. Ambition is wanting to excel, is power, and has nothing to do with basic wisdom, with uh, uh, meeting our basic needs. Ambition has just one effect that makes us want more. We have a, a success, the only, if we are ambitious, the only effect of that success is, okay, what ne what's next? I want more and more and more. You know, it's a blend of ambition, it's a blend of attachment and uh, wanting to prove something to ourselves and other people, so uh, lack of, uh, uh, of self-esteem, and uh, has nothing to do with working uh, uh, healthily at a life project and makes it extremely difficult to be in the present moment. Uh, it's, it gives uh, a, a fantastic restlessness. The mind is uh, always, you know, scheming. And, and, and the problem is that ambition, uh, uh, of course, is not only uh, ambition in gross aspects and gross forms. It can be very subtle, uh, and we can be unaware of it. So we, uh, when we hear the word ambition, what we get in our mind is a kind of a caricature of the ambitious person, and we decide, oh no, I'm not ambitious. Well, I'm not ambitious. We, we maybe we are not ambitious in that sense and in that form, but ambition can hide somewhere else. There is something called spiritual ambition, for instance. Uh, it's very insidious. It's, it's as though Mr. Ego went out uh, through the front door and came back through the back door bigger. <laughs> <laughs> but we, uh, we are not aware of that. We think that we are being uh, uh, very good uh, meditators, very good yogis, and uh, that um, we are cultivating right effort. We are we, we, we might be uh, totally and truly and genu genuinely uh, authentically convinced that uh, that's the situation. And uh, maybe a spiritual friend would be a real friend if he or she told us, you know, you're wrong. There is something more into your effort, uh, behind your effort, which has to do with ambition. And the fact that it is spiritual uh, doesn't change. Actually, I remember this uh, great uh, Hindu teacher, Nisargadatta Maharaj, and he says spiritual ambition is the worst version of ambition. Not only is it is not redeemed by the fact that it is spiritual, but it's the worst, most insidious. So. One trap is this passive, uh, a little bit depressed attitude, basically conceited, you know, I don't need anything. 
and, uh, and the other trap is not seeing uh, that uh, we are not working at the life project, but we are rather reinforcing our ambition. So it is good that we investigate these areas, maybe with the help of some uh, Kalyana Mitta, some spiritual friend, so as to be more able to make space uh, for the presence in the present. I remember talking about ambition the other night, uh, the story of this Tibetan lay man, Mon Jorcho Dak, and uh, uh, when he's about to die, he says uh, uh, to all his friends and relatives, you've been deceiving me. You've been telling me all the time how good I was, and so I spent all my years uh, you know, trying to be good, trying to be praised, and trying to do as many things as possible. And now I realize that I, neglect, I neglected the only thing which would have taken care of me, the Dharma. So... Uh, this is one more story about uh, hidden ambition and uh, its effects. Seems to me, talking about um, pursuing the past and uh, getting lost in the future, that just good common sense already knows that this is wrong, that this is a waste of time and energy. It doesn't take um, um, an Asian uh, meditative approach you know, to know that. But the meditation um, does something very helpful. Meditation, the practice, um, puts this, the, the common sense wisdom, into our system. Uh, until we really know that uh, getting lost in the past and the future is basically um, weakening ourselves. Prior to having uh, this uh, no knowledge, this wisdom in our system, uh, in our circulation, in our blood, we knew it, but actually we didn't know it because we, uh, you know, we knew it, but we were doing it all the time. So we don't really, we didn't, know, we didn't really know it. But by virtue of the practice, you know, we see and we touch again and again and again. And you know, a retreat is as an important teacher in this respect. How unreal is this uh, uh, compulsive going into the past and into the future. But usually it takes time and it takes training. Being just uh, convinced intellectually is a help, but uh, doesn't go much, much, m m very far. Uh, you know, the practice is simple and humble. We were talking about commitment to the Dharma the other night, but the commitment to the Dharma has to manifest itself through the humbleness of the practice, otherwise it dries up very quickly. And we can find uh, even the words irritating, you know, commitment to the Dharma, choosing the Dharma, or choosing God, I personally don't see any difference. 
But if we don't practice, these words uh, become very soon empty words, irritating words. Whereas it's total opposite if we practice. These words stay new. I've noticed that in myself and many other people. They, 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 you know, they don't become obsolete. They don't, they don't dry up because we are manifesting this commitment. You know, every time we go back to the breath, every time we go back to waking up to mindfulness. So we are not just doing something cerebral and getting excited and then uh, getting bored, but we are just working like a, like like a craftsman. Know, reassessing, assessing and reassessing this commitment. Uh, each time we uh, evoke, we, we give life to mindfulness. And therefore, those words keep being meaningful for us. Because it's not something mental. They are just uh, 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 um, a description of what we are constantly doing. And we imbue them more and more of meaning. They become more and more significant. So it's the other way around. Uh, if we don't practice, uh, we have this uh, initial excitement and then uh, everything goes downhill. Uh, if we practice this the other way around, it's up and up and up. And uh, it's as though every month or every year, these basic expressions are like more juicy, more uh, you know, tastier. But that takes practice. I remember the first teacher I studied with, Shunryu Suzuki Roshi, he was fond of saying that uh, sitting practice is like a soup. Uh, you eat it again and again, and this uh, tastes better and better. You know, same soup. Um, <laughs> so the more we see, the uh, unreality of the past and of the future, we let go with pleasure. So two, two things, let go with pleasure. Uh, there is something which is in this tradition is called nibida, disenchantment. We get disenchanted with all this playing with the past and the future. It is not that we stop doing it forever. I mean, I guess if you go very deep, you really stop. But um, uh, I'm talking about people who've been practicing a lot, um, quite a, for a long time. And what happens is that you do, you do it less and less. And whenever you realize that you are you know, just uh, indulging in the past or in the future, you wake up. I remember this, this uh, meditator in one retreat telling me, Something funny is happening, he said. Uh, it's as though I had two voices inside myself. One voice tends to say, remember that time? And the other voice says, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> but in the past, uh, we, would have, we, would, we would have answered, oh, yeah, tell me more. <laughs> you know? uh, it's past. It's gone. It's over. And uh, I think uh Tan says something very crucial when he says, you know, if you take care of the present, 
That's the only way of taking care of the future. It's the only way of taking care of the future. It's not speculating about the future. So, um, the practice helps us to put into, into practice, to implement what um, basic wisdom teaches us about um, the unreality of the past and the future. Now, what about this thing of being swept away by the present? Basically means being overwhelmed by identification, being overwhelmed by I and my, claiming our khandas, mind and the body, as I and my, and suffering because of that. If we think of one example, we can uh, um, see that uh, maybe three, three different uh, um, levels of response are possible. Suppose that um, someone hates us, and uh, suppose that a friend tells us that this person has attacked us in front of other people and has said um, you know, many negative things about ourselves in a, in a, in a, in a fit of, of anger and hatred. And we, we hear this. We hear this description of a, of a wave of hatred you know, directed against us, against ourselves. Level number one is the raw, the hopeless level. You know, we get, and we know it all, we all know it very well, uh, we get totally sucked in our identification, totally you know, swept away, totally overwhelmed. We feel uh, threatened, uh, we feel uh, fear, we feel frustration, we feel anger and hatred, counter-anger, counter-hatred. And uh, we totally and completely believe whatever the mind is telling us in that moment. You know, just pure fire, pure suffering. Maybe we, we act on that or maybe we don't, but um, just thinking of the 100% identified reaction, you know, the, 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 the maximum suffering. But then we can think of uh, a, a different uh, response, level number two. And we can think of us being hit by this wave while listening to our friend reporting about this. And almost immediately we turn on mindfulness. We, 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 we light up mindfulness. We uh, can imagine mindfulness as not being continuous, uh, rather uh, in intermittent, uh, because you know the emotion is uh, strong, the feeling is strong, but if we have 
enough training in doing this, uh, we can have a non-continuous um, but effective presence of mindfulness. Needless to say that this takes uh, training. It doesn't come uh, automatically from the sitting. The sitting is an incredible source of energy and training, but it takes specific uh, training. So whenever we are in a difficult situation, uh, we practice, you know, that's the training. So in this situation, in this, at this level, what we have is the, um, the feeling, the, the, the disappointment, the frustration, uh, on the one hand, and something different, some infiltration, as Thich Nhat Hanh would say, of, of mindfulness. Okay, so it's, it's like um, a whirlpool with a still point within, or uh, maybe a little flickering, flickering flame in, 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 in within the darkness, or some space uh, in, 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 in within tightness. It's a coexistence coexistence, uh, coexisting of these two things, of the, the, the upset, the suffering, the turmoil, the, the, our reaction, our reactivity, our uh, anger, but at the same time, there is something else, there is company. We are not at the mercy of our reaction. We are not really swept away. There is something which holds, despite the uh, storm, uh, something which uh, holds us and holds in itself. Then we, we lose it, and then we get it back, and then we lose it. But it makes it makes a big difference with with level number one, with level total identity of total identification. Here we have a, a, a possibility of not being identified. We have a, a prop, something. Uh, to rely on, and, 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 and which helps us not to believe 100% what the mind is saying, what our feelings are saying. Now, the most important thing, working in this way, is that it's as though, doing it again and again, at one point we start realizing that We've been a victim of a visual distortion for a long time because being all caught up in our thoughts, what we are going to say when we see him or her, you know, rehearsing thoughts, but we missed the biggest object in the room, which was, which is our suffering. We were so much uh, involved in, 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 you know, designing our next encounter with this person that we missed the biggest object in front of us. And we were too busy, you know, uh, looking for uh, little things, little words, little insults, you know, to, to, to collect <laughs> and to have ready at hand. And, and, and we missed this huge, big thing. Which is, which was our naked suffering because of what was happening. 
we were actually we were avoiding it. Um, Jokovic would say that you know we think and think in order to avoid feeling the wound, feeling the suffering. But sooner or later, if we practice, we stop avoiding it and we see our suffering as a much more solid and real thing than all the thoughts of what happened and what will happen. Now we are suffering. This is the real, uh, 100% real thing. All the rest is what that person said and what we are going to say back. But this is unreal. What is real now, the present? And Thich Nhat Khan talks about the richness of the present, the depth of the present, is that we are suffering. And if we can, you know, if we can, like, make space, make room for this suffering, our rela relationship with the suffering becomes very different. This is some, this implies some disidentification. And if we realize that we are having a little bit of a compassionate attitude towards our suffering in that moment, then this means that there is some more disidentification going on. That's is, that is the hint, that is the clue. Having, instead of self-pity or instead of impatience at ourselves for our suffering, just having some compassion for our suffering. That means that we are not so much being swept away you know there's something very real suffering something very real compassion right in the moment understanding wisdom are present maybe in an embryonic way but they are that confusion of past and future is not there there is the real the thing which is real suffering and the the appropriate response compassion of course what else well, that would be appropriate in front of suffering. Compassion. And then, we can go a, a, a little step further, and this we, we might call level number three. And, uh, you know, once we've seen our suffering, once we've developed some compassion for our suffering, the further possibility is to see, to begin to see something which is even more hidden and more covered up, more concealed than our suffering, which is the other person's suffering. In other words, we can have the experience of the intense suffering of the person who has been insulting us, who has been attacking us, who has been manifesting anger and hatred toward, towards us. Now, while we listen to this friend of ours telling us uh, what happened, we can have this, this experience of directly seeing that person as someone contracted into suffering instead of perceiving him or her as, you know, wicked, uh, crazy, uh, negative, 
uh, aggressive. You know, this quality is, is, it the, uh, is as though for maybe a few seconds, maybe a few minutes or half an hour, is as though they didn't register. What register is the intense suffering of that person while he or she was attacking. It's not a reflection that, you know, hatred means suffering. The reflection is, of course, is helpful to the extent, however, that it can promote an experience because the, the, the freeing quality, the liberating quality, comes from the experience. You know, having the experience, which can be very new and very surprising, of the intense suffering of that person, totally different experience than uh, you know feeling the hatred and our counter hatred so from seeing our suffering the possibility of seeing the other person's suffering and from the possibility of having some compassion for our suffering the possibility of having some compassion for that person's suffering I mean that person who, who's been insulting us just imagine seeing the suffering and having compassion. Maybe just one second, maybe one minute. Very precious. It's very precious because it opens up a totally different vista and gives a lot of motivation to the practice. It comes unexpectedly and then makes us think of the Beautiful words of the Buddha when he says, Amongst it is possible. If it weren't possible, I wouldn't have told you. But it, it is possible. To be continued. Let's sit for a few seconds. <laughs> 